Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie, and I'm here to caress your souls. I'm Ellen, and I'm here to whisper sweet nothings into your ear holes. Hey, that's a rhyme! Which means this should be a good time. No. Let's just keep rolling into the rolling rehash. Last week, we covered the first half of chapter 26, the second task, and the corresponding film scenes. Harry was somehow surprised to find Hermione upset over the fact that he lied about figuring out the egg glue earlier. The trio all try to figure out if searches without a warrant should condemn or exonerate Snape. In a low-key fuck you to Grubbly Blank, Hagrid takes his class back and teaches a lesson everyone can participate in. Harry's Seeker and Niffler tendencies work together to make the unicorn foals much more exciting to learn about. Ron, despite not having any decent ideas of his own, wasn't any more useless than his two best friends. Dobby's reputation for backfiring plans to save the boy who lived makes everyone a little bit apprehensive. Neville jumps at a chance to nerd the fuck out while Harry is busy freaking the fuck out. And when Mad-Eye's prompting gets a little inappropriate at this point, we're less than surprised. During episode 96, if you can't deny it, supply it! Our Potter pondering was, did you prefer Dobby or Neville helping Harry acquire Gillyweed, and why? Hello, it is the support badger here. I'm calling to respond to this week's Potter pondering of whether I preferred Dobby or Neville giving Harry the gillyweed. This one's a toughie. So, you know, I really prefer to follow the books and I really didn't like that they left Dobby out of this movie, but they leave out so many good things that Neville does that I thought it was nice that they gave him an opportunity to shine in this movie. But like, why cut out the house elves? You could have Neville do what he normally does, right? Because he's awesome on his own instead of cutting out his major pieces in the movie. So in short, I like both ways. I do. I like that they took an opportunity to give Neville a chance to shine for sure. But I do miss Dobby very much so. So that's all I have. So just keep rolling. Hi, this is Quincy, longtime listener, longtime caller. The way that you treated Dobby in the film was very disrespectful. Everybody wants to say that Ron got the short end of the stick, but no. Dobby got the short end of the stick and then was beaten with it. It was really just disrespectful. Don't get me wrong, I love them giving Neville more of a fleshed out character in the films, but they didn't even fucking do that because they cut out some very important parts about Neville in the films. But just to get rid of Dobby altogether, like he never existed, like we see him in um, Chamber of Secrets and then we don't see him again until like the last fucking movie, it's just very fucking disrespectful, very distasteful, and I'm a little upset about it. Anyway, love you, bye. G'day, Elise Kidjul from Australia here. I definitely miss Dobby in this scene. Um, he is one of my favourite characters and it kills me every time I reread it and he dies. I miss, the reason why I miss Dobby in this scene is because in the movies, the only time you actually see him is in book two and then in seven when he saves everyone and then he ultimately dies. You don't actually get to see the relationship that builds between Harry and Dobby all throughout the book series because he does pop up quite frequently during the books to help Harry with different things. Um, So I definitely would have preferred that they showed Dobby in this scene to help build that relationship and show the Watchers how important he was and the reason why Harry, you know, did the grave and everything at the end. Okay, thanks. Bye. Hey, Ellen. Hey, Katie. It's Jackson. So I myself prefer Dobby giving Harry the gillyweed. Not just because 
you know, the movie didn't include Dobby. And why? No! But, you know, just, I think it just made more sense. Um, I mean, yet, Neville giving Harry the Gillyweed wasn't too bad of a change. But, you know, I just prefer, you know, the book version where, you know, Harry just didn't realise that the book he needed that would tell him how to get Gillyweed was with him the whole time. It just makes for a better sort of reveal with, when we find out that Mad Eye is Crouch Jr. That's how I feel about it anyway. But yeah, definitely prefer Dobby. Thank you so much to our keepers who called in to share your thoughts. We love hearing your voices. And thank you to those of you who respond on our Facebook page too. Y'all have such great thoughts and we love that you share them with us. Mm-hmm. Our trivia question last week was, how many points do each champion receive for the second task? Fleur got 25, Victor got 40, Harry got 45, and Cedric got 47. Congratulations goes to Jackson Miller from Australia. Woohoo! That was a terrible accent, by the way. Oh, I was trying to imitate how he sounded. I love hearing his voice. It's so nice. I feel like last week we had kind of an accent off between Max and Jackson. <laughs> we did. Yeah. Max and Jackson. Max and Jackson. Max and Jackson. <laughs> it's a rhyming episode, isn't it? Apparently. <laughs> anyway, Jackson cut off Sammy's streak, so maybe he'll be starting one up himself. Well, we shall see. For now, let's just keep rolling into the second half of Chapter 26, the second task, and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 26. The Second Task, Part 2 Harry follows the Mersong and finds himself in a cluster of stone dwellings where he can see faces that bear no resemblance to the painting of the mermaid in the prefix bathroom. They have grayish skin, yellow eyes, and long dark green hair. As he swims through the village, he's watched by more merpeople. Harry speeds forward around the corner and finds what looks like a mer version of a village square where a choir of merpeople sing the song, and Ron, Hermione, Cho Chang, and an eight-year-old girl that must be Fleur's sister are all tied to the tail of a crude-looking merperson statue. They all appear to be in a deep sleep, and Harry swims towards them as fast as he can, expecting the merpeople to charge him, though they do not. Harry tries to figure out how to cut the thick, slimy ropes of weed away from Ron and tries to mime borrowing a spear from a nearby merman, who laughs and says they do not help. Harry tries to pull it from him to no avail and gives up, looking around for something sharp. He dives down and snatches a jagged rock from the lake bottom and begins to hack at Ron's ropes. After several minutes, they break apart, causing Ron to float unconscious a few feet from the lake floor. Harry looks around, and when he doesn't see any sign of the other champions, he turns back to Hermione and begins to hack at her ropes, too. Several mermen pull him away, telling him to only take his own hostage, but Harry refuses, insisting that Hermione is his friend too, and he doesn't want the other two to die either. He struggles to get away, again looking around for the other champions. He considers taking Ron to the surface and returning for Hermione, but then the people around him start pointing excitedly above him. Harry looks up to see Cedric swimming towards him with an enormous bubble around his head. He mouths for Harry to get lost. Fleur and Crumb are coming now. And Harry watches as he pulls out a knife and cuts Cho free before pulling her upward and out of sight. Harry waits, still looking for Fleur and Crumb, and notices that the mermen holding him loosen their grip as they stare at something monstrous swimming towards them. Harry turns to see a human body in swimming trunks with the head of a shark and realizes that it's Crumb who must have badly transfigured himself. He swims straight to Hermione and tries to bite through her ropes, and Harry is concerned that he's going to rip Hermione in half. He hits Crumb on the shoulder and holds out the jagged stone, which Crumb uses to cut Hermione free and also swim to the surface. Harry continues to wait, and when there is no sign of Fleur, he retrieves the sharp rock that Crumb had dropped. The mermen again try to stop him, and he holds up his wand and shouts for them to get out of the way. Again, only bubbles come out of his mouth, but the people seem to understand and look nervously at Harry's wand. He holds up three fingers and gives them to the count of three. 
By one, they all scatter, and Harry moves forward to cut Fleur's sister free and starts swimming towards the surface weighed down by her and Ron. The merpeople begin rising with him, and he starts to worry that they will pull him back down. It's also becoming more difficult to breathe, and his flippers change back to feet. He's starting to feel dizzy, but knows he's only 10 feet from the surface, so he kicks as hard as he can until his head breaks through. Harry sees green heads emerging out of the water around him, but they're smiling. The crowd is screaming and shouting, and Ron expels a jet of water, comments on how wet it is, then asks why Harry brought Fleur's sister. Harry explains that Fleur didn't turn up, and he couldn't leave her, and Ron calls him a brat for taking the song seriously, since Dumbledore would never let anyone drown. Harry feels both stupid and annoyed, but asks Ron to help him with the little girl since she can't swim very well. They make their way through the water towards the judges, where Madame Pomfrey is tending to Hermione, Crumb, Cedric, and Cho, who are all wrapped in blankets. Dumbledore and Bagman are smiling from the bank, but a very pale Percy comes splashing out to meet them. Madame Maxime is also nearby, trying to restrain Fleur, who is hysterically calling for her sister Gabrielle. Harry tries to tell her that she's fine, but is too exhausted to speak. Fleur runs forward and hugs her sister, explaining that she couldn't get past the Grindelows. Madame Pomfrey pulls Harry towards Hermione and the others and tightly wraps him in a blanket. Hermione congratulates Harry and comments on how he found out all by himself. And when Harry notices Karkaroff watching him, he decides not to mention Dobby and just agrees. Crumb then tells Hermione that she has a water beetle in her hair, but she just brushes it away and keeps talking to Harry, wondering if he had trouble finding them since he was so far outside the time limit. This just makes Harry feel even stupider about believing the song, because had he just grabbed Ron and left, he would have been the first one back. Dumbledore is crouching at the water's edge, making the same screechy noises as the merpeople made above water, clearly able to speak mermish. He then stands and asks for a conference with the other judges, and they go into a huddle. Madame Pomfrey moves on to take care of Ron, then Fleur, who insists she looked after Gabrielle first. She turns to Harry and mentions that he saved her, even though she wasn't his hostage. When Harry says yes, she kisses him twice on each cheek, then Ron, too, for helping. Hermione looks furious, but then Ludo Bagman's voice is again magically magnified to announce the scores that they determined with information from Mer Chieftainess Mercus. They award the points out of 50, starting with Fleur Delacour, who receives 25 points for her excellent use of the bubblehead charm, though she failed to retrieve her hostage. Cedric Diggory also used the bubblehead charm and is awarded 47 points for being the first to return with his hostage, though a minute outside the time limit. Victor Crumb used an incomplete form of transfiguration and was second to return with his hostage, earning 40 points. Bagman then says that Harry Potter used Gillyweed to great effect and returned last, well outside the time limit, but the Merchieftainess informed them that he was the first to reach the hostages, and his delay was due to his determination to return all of the hostages to safety. Ron and Hermione give Harry half-exasperated, half-commiserating looks, as Bagman says most of the judges feel this shows moral fiber and merits full marks. However, Potter's score is 45. Harry's stomach gives an excited lurch as he realizes he's now tied in first with Cedric, and everyone around them starts applauding. Ron yells that Harry wasn't being thick, he was showing moral fiber, and Bagman continues speaking, saying the third and final task will take place at dusk on the 24th of June, and the champions will be notified of what is coming a month beforehand. Harry is completely dazed, and relieved that it's over, with nothing to worry about until June the 24th. He also decides that the next time he's in Hogsmeade, he's going to buy Dobby a pair of socks for every day of the year. The movie section starts out with Harry swimming through the lake. Everything is very dark and green, as Harry approaches a huge underwater mass of plants and can hear the people singing their song. He swims forward into the plants and looks around, trying to find the source of the music. 
He sees Fleur, whose nose and mouth are covered by a bubble, and the camera focuses on her as a creature can be heard off screen, and something very tentacly swims behind her and yanks her down off screen. The same creature then rushes at Harry, who bats it away and turns around to see a mermaid swimming off in the distance. The camera cuts to back above the surface, showing a hand holding a watch as Dumbledore announces that Miss Delacour was forced to retire and will take no further part in the task. Moody paces back and forth on the platform, glancing at Karkaroff, who sneers in his direction. Shifting back below the surface, Harry continues to swim through the weeds, following the mermaid that he saw. He emerges into a more rocky underwater terrain and can again hear the mer song, as well as see many more mer people. In the center of several rocky pillars, he sees four people floating. Swimming towards him, he sees that it is Ron, Hermione, Cho, and a young blonde girl, all tied to something by their ankle. He touches Ron's face and looks over at the other captives before untying the rope from Ron's ankle. As he does, a mermaid swims in very close to him, holding a trident, and Harry hesitates. Cedric shows up, also with a bubble covering his nose and mouth, and uses his wand to sever the rope and release Cho Chang. He loops his arm in hers and looks at Harry, tapping his wand to his watch. Harry nods and pulls out his own wand to release Hermione as Cedric swims towards the surface. The mermaid points her trident at Harry's throat to stop him as a couple other mermaids surround him. In a water-garbled voice, he says that she is his friend too, and the mermaid bares her pointed teeth and makes a screeching sound, saying, Only one! before getting a startled expression on her face and swimming off in fear. Harry turns to see a shark swimming right towards him, opening its mouth, and dodges out of the way as it swims to Hermione and bites through the rope tied to her ankle. The camera angle shifts to show that only the head is that of a shark's, and the rest of the body is that of Victor Crumbs, who takes Hermione by the hand and swims off with her. Harry watches, perplexed, then swims back to Ron, links his arm into his, and then looks around before he swims off. He doesn't see any sign of Fleur de la Cour, and uses his wand to release the little girl still tied up. The camera cuts to the surface, focusing on the clock, that is only a few minutes from the hour, before showing Cedric and Cho emerging from the water to cheers and applause. Cho waves as they swim towards the platform, where Dumbledore and Barty Crouch are standing among the spectators. Dumbledore tells Crouch that they should get down below, and the two head through a door and down some stairs. Hermione and Crumb then surface, and Crumb's shark head returns to normal as people chant Crumb's name, and Karkaroff gives a proud smile. Fleur is watching with concern, wrapped in a robe surrounded by her classmates who are comforting her. The scene shifts back to underwater, where Harry is trying to swim towards the surface with two people in tow. He looks at his hands and realizes they are no longer webbed, and kicks his feet as hard as he can, though they are returning to his normal feet and no longer resemble flippers. Before he can get too far, a Grindelow appears with a snarl and grabs him by the ankle, followed by dozens more. He pushes Ron and the girl upward as hard as he can and feels that his gills are disappearing too as the Grindelows surround him and try to pull him under. He pulls out his wand and casts a spell that knocks the Grindelow away from him and sends them all scattering. The camera again shows the clock right as it strikes on the hour, and Ron and the girl come up gasping for air. Ron helps her swim towards the platform as the twins cheer and Fleur kneels down by the ladder to call for her sister in French. Back underwater, Harry is starting to sink back towards the bottom and exhaustedly looks up towards the surface. He manages to cast Ascendio and propels himself up out of the water and through the air, landing in a heap on the platform right by Dumbledore and Crouch. He sits up as Dumbledore checks on him, and a pleased Moody taps his hand on the railing. Seamus wraps a towel around Harry's shoulders, and Dumbledore calls for the judges to meet up, as Fleur rushes up to him and thanks him for saving her little sister, kissing him on each cheek before standing and moving toward Ron. She kisses him on each cheek for helping and rushes back off with her sister Gabrielle, as a stunned Ron touches his cheek and says, Merci! Hermione runs up to Harry to see if he's alright and wraps her towel around him too, since she already has a robe on under it, and he must be freezing. 
She thinks he behaved admirably, and a dejected Harry points out that he finished last. She kisses him on the head and reminds him that he was next to last, because Fleur never got past the Glindilos. As the judges return from their huddle, the Durmstrang boys again start chanting Crumb's name, and Dumbledore calls for everyone's attention, finally magnifying his voice to announce that the winner is Mr. Diggory, who used the bubblehead charm. As people cheer and congratulate a very happy Cedric, Dumbledore continues talking to announce that because Mr. Potter would have finished first had he not been determined to rescue everyone, they have agreed to award him second place for outstanding moral fiber. Harry looks extremely stunned as people cheer and Hermione excitedly repeats the news to him. Karkaroff is standing behind Dumbledore and does not look pleased with this information as he spits in his direction before walking off. Some of the Slytherins boo, and the camera cuts to Nigel looking up at a disappointed Malfoy as he cheers for Harry's success. Malfoy smacks his head and binoculars down and turns to leave. So these correspond fairly well, but there are still some differences and dramatizations. The movie section starts out with our hero searching for the lost city of Atlantis. Oh, wait, no, that's not this part. Sorry. Wrong, wrong story. Yeah, totally wrong story. <laughs> Everything is green and murky, pretty much what you would expect from a lake in Scotland, as Harry swims through what is essentially the aquatic version of the Forbidden Forest. Yeah. I mean, that's what it looked like to me, really. I'm not going in either one, so there you go. <laughs> that's why you're not Gryffindor. Mm-hmm. Never claim to be. He gets to a big old bunch of underwater plants, and at first thinks that he's going crazy, but then realizes he's just hearing the people singing. So, like any glutton for punishment on a mission, he continues down to try and find the source of the singing. Which makes sense. I mean, that's your best clue, yeah. really. Kind of his only clue. Yeah, there's definitely that. Because I can't imagine, like, getting down under the water and just going, okay, where the fuck do I go now? <laughs> and then swimming the opposite direction of the Murr song. Yeah, that just doesn't make any sense. Though Harry is not a Ravenclaw. Well, that is true. But they legitimately did spell it out in the egg by saying, seek us where our voices sound. So it was a rather excellent clue. Mother, just damn it. <laughs> As he's making his way through a forest of seaweed or or would it be lakeweed? Because, I mean, we're not we're not in the sea. We're in a lake. So so lakeweed. Sure. Lakeweed. All right. Anyway, not important. He catches a glimpse of Fleur, who is looking chic AF with a bubble covering her mouth and nose. I gotta say, I really wish that we had those in this lovely time of coronavirus, but I digress. That actually would be really useful. Right? Though I do want to point out that it's not what I imagined them looking like, as the charm is called the bubble head mm -hmm. charm. I expected it to cover their whole head like a space helmet. Or rather, a scuba helmet, since they are underwater. I agree with you there. Definitely. It looked just kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. Like, it looked like when you peel from a sunburn. <laughs> but it was just one big peeling piece in front it of their like mouth. It looked like they put it a was... plastic bag over their nose yeah. and mouth. That too. Yours is a much better explanation. Which would not work the way, don't do this at home, kids. No. Oh no. Bad idea. But yeah, it was very odd. But at the same time, again, it's breathable, literally. <laughs> so there's that. It worked. Mm -hmm. We then see some weird-ass lake creatures swimming around her, like they do, making really unattractive sounds. <laughs> <laughs> They're like dolphins on crack. It was like a weird clicking noise. I didn't like it. It freaked me out. Anyway. I think it was supposed to. Mm. That would make sense. Yeah. Yeah, now that you mention it. Hmm. It's all coming together now. But because Fleur is a girl, and therefore inferior in this world, she gets grabbed by the bitches, because, you know, why not? This basically happens in the book, too, though it's alluded to rather than directly shown. Yeah. The creature then tries to grab Harry, but oh no, you made a mistake, son, because Harry is a boy. And he, he can apparently just do anything. So he bats it away, because boys can, because they're fucking manly and... Arr. Manly men. Manly men. And as we mentioned last week, Harry did basically have that encounter with the Grindelow in the book chapter as well, though a couple actually grabbed a hold of him. 
mm-hmm. as opposed to him doing the manly thing and avoiding it. Yeah. So apparently he wasn't that manly in the book. No, he was 14. That is true. He's boily. Oh, I don't no. like that. <laughs> no. No, Let's Ellen. just keep rolling. Moving on. After that show of manly force, Harry turns to see a mermaid swimming off in the distance. Hmm, maybe I should follow them. That is an excellent idea. Stop it with the damn egg! I can't help it, it's a condition. Oh my god. Anyway, we then go back to above the water where all the action is happening. Because it's got to be really interesting. Dumbledore announces that, as expected, the girl couldn't cut it. And therefore has to quit early because, really, she had no chance to begin with. But we needed a girl in the ranks. Well, somebody had to wear the sexy swimsuit. Obviously. I mean, otherwise it would have just been people wearing sensible swimwear. Right. In a freezing cold lake. In February. Right. I mean, come on. Meanwhile, Mad-Eye Moody is pacing back and forth like a man in the 50s waiting for his child to be born, but looking slightly more aggressive, really. Just slightly. Just a bit. Smidgen. He could have used that cigar. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Karkaroff is scowling at Mad-Eye and debates telling him that he probably should have waited to take his laxative until after the task was over. Yeah. I mean, it would make sense. That would be good advice. Mm Mm-hmm. It's also really cool why this scene switches back between underwater and the surface so much in the movie. Oh, yeah. The entire section was done with practical effects. They built this giant tank and the actors, mostly Daniel, had to spend a lot of time underwater to get the shots. And they could only shoot like 15 seconds at a time because, you know, you can't hold your breath for too long. (laughs) You shouldn't try just in case. Yeah. So for editing purposes, they needed a way to cleanly break up those scenes as there wouldn't have been an easy and still dynamic way to do all the underwater stuff in a bunch of 15 second cuts. Yeah, which makes sense. But you don't realize everything that went into making this. Right. I didn't know until we watched it. Was that a DVD extra? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was on the Blu-ray special editions. And it's just so cool to see everything that they went through to do this. Even Daniel was saying that he trained for six months. Yeah. Before they even started shooting it. He trained in scuba and diving and all that. And Oh my gosh. Just to make sure he was comfortable underwater because he had to swim away from his breathing apparatus for those 15 seconds at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it'd be a little bit more than that because of the swimming back and forth. And then he had to act. Yeah. Like, that's the amazing part to me. So if you have access to the Blu-ray special edition features like that, you should really go check it out. It was cool to know. Yeah. It was very amazing. But this is basically where this half of the chapter picks up. Harry is following the sound of the song. Because it is the logical thing to do. Like you do. He swims towards the song and finds stone dwellings with faces in the windows. But the faces are nothing like the painting of the mermaid in the prefect's bathroom. Their skin is grayish. Their hair is green and kind of wild, which I don't know what you would expect underwater. Mm. My hair does not look good underwater, so. (laughs) And their eyes are yellow. And then he's watched by more of these mer people as he continues to swim on. That would be intimidating. Very much so, yeah. The movie cuts back underwater as Harry continues to make his way through the flooded forbidden forest, hot on the trail of the mermaid that he saw. He gets to a rocky clearing where all the mer people are hanging out, just chilling around some tied up humans, you know, like they do. Mm-hmm. Harry seems disappointed to not see Ariel anywhere, but luckily he sees the next best redhead, Ron Weasley. basically like the book except it sounds more like a rocky clearing than a village Mm -hmm. where harry finds a crowd of people floating in what seems to be a village square so maybe that could be the rocky clearing it did not look like a village to me no not really but there's a choir of mer people singing and calling the champions to them come seek us where Mm. our voices sound (laughs) and ron is tied between hermione and cho chang and there's a small girl who harry is sure must be fleur's sister yeah in the movie as he gets closer he sees that not only is ron there but also hermione and cho chang so he starts to wonder if it's his birthday but then he sees some random blonde girl and now he's all confused who the hell's that yeah he starts to untie the rope around ron's ankle but hesitates when the mer people start creeping up closer which I would do that, too. Yeah, because he doesn't know what they're going to do, and they do not look like people with fishtails. They look scary. Yeah, he doesn't know if they're just going to let him come in and take his treasure. Take his wheezy. Take his wheezy. (laughs) 
But he doesn't know. That, like, do I have to fight them? What the fuck do I have to do? Right. And like it appears in the movie, the book says that all four seem to be in a very deep sleep and bubbles issue from their mouths. Mm-hmm. Harry moves towards them and expects the people to charge him with their spears because that's what you would think. Yeah. But they don't move. So he's looking at the rope and he's like, Sirius gave me a knife for Christmas. Why the fuck didn't I bring that with me? And he mimes asking for a spear from one of the mermen, but the merman's just like, <laughs> we don't help. <laughs> at least that's how I imagine how that sounded. I mean, at least he tried. It was a thought. I guess. Better than trying and failing to take the spear, which is what he does next. <laughs> well, yes. And when that doesn't work, because he failed, he begins to look for anything sharp. And he manages to find a jagged rock. So he like breaks through the ropes by carving at it with a sharp rock. Yeah. Our Harry just unties shit. <laughs> yeah. He's not a Ravenclaw. No. Ron floats a few feet above the bottom of the lake and Harry looks around. He doesn't see any of the other champions. So he's just like, I'm gonna go save Hermione too. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. Yeah. It's totally logical. Yeah. However, the mer people are like, no. <laughs> You can only take your hostage. You have to leave the rest. And Harry's just like, no, this is my friend, too. Mm -hmm. It's not my Wheezy, but it's my friend. It's my Hermie. (laughs) And he doesn't want the others to die either because dude's taking the song really seriously at this point. Well, the song from the book. Yes. Obviously. Because in the movie, the song just doesn't give any ideas to what's going to happen to the treasures that are taken. Especially since it only mentions the time limit as if, like, you have an hour to do this. Yeah. It doesn't say anything about going black, can't get it back. Yeah, it doesn't go into any of that. It's And it doesn't even necessarily say treasure. It just says to recover what we took. Like, right. That's, that's it. So... I feel like that took away... From the desperation. Definitely. It took away from the tension that was supposed mm-hmm. to be there. I mean, obviously, you get the gist. You got to go down the leg. You got to get your thing back. Fine. Okay. But without, like, the mer people attacking him or making creating some other kind of issue, it just doesn't feel as perilous, I yeah. guess. No, I agree. That kind of bugged me. Yeah. Harry actually starts to consider maybe taking Ron up to the surface and then coming back for Hermione. But it's at this point that Cedric shows up with a giant bubble around his head. Around his head. Mm-hmm. Not just covering his nose and mouth. Whole head. He tells Harry that the others are coming in to get lost, and he pulls out a knife to cut Cho's ropes. Well, look who thought ahead. Hmm. Yeah. The real champion. Right. <laughs> Once she's freed, Cedric pulls her towards the surface. Basically, same in the movie, aside from the bubble covering the whole head. But yeah, enter pretty boy Diggory, wearing the Rona chic bubble on his face. He actually uses his wand to cut the rope around Cho's leg because, you know, he's fancy like that. So, And like we said, the book specified that it was a knife, but honestly, a wand makes way more sense since, you know, they are wizards. Well, yeah, he doesn't have time to undo knots. That's some muggle bullshit right there. Just saying. Yeah. He grabs Cho's arm, looks at Harry, and taps his wristwatch with his wand to imply that he needs to get a move on. Which gets the same point across, even though the book implied that he could speak because his whole head was in a bubble. True. But I can see how, in the practical effects, they could not have gotten him to actually speak as if he wasn't really in the water, so... He wasn't really wearing a bubble face charm. What? (laughs) What? Well, when they had Fleur get taken by the Grindelows, the scream that came out of her was like a weird muffly scream. So I doubt that it would have sounded any better if Cedric tried to say words. Yeah. (laughs) But Harry nods and goes to release Hermione as Cedric pieces out. But the mermaid is like, hell no, you're not taking her. As like this big old mer gang starts to surround him. She pulls out her switchblade, I mean, trident, you know, the pokey thing. And she points it at Harry, who says that Hermione is his friend, too. But the mermaid doesn't give a crap and says, Only one! That was my mermaid voice. I hope you liked it. I did. It was not quite my sexy voice, but I think we can all agree that's a good thing. I think it's on the list, though. (laughs) But then, suddenly, the mermaid sees something in the distance that scares the 
ever-living crap out of her and sends her and her mermaid goons swimming off in fear. In the book, Harry is still being restrained by the people as Cedric pulls Cho towards the surface. But they begin screeching and the ones holding Harry loosen their grip when they see a human body with the head of a shark. Harry knows that it's Victor, but he looks like he'd poorly transfigured himself. I love how the movie did this. Harry turns just in time to see a shark swimming right at him with his mouth ready to just chomp the fuck down. And he dodges out of the way and it swims past him to Hermione as it bites through the rope tied around her ankle. But we then see that the shark is really just Victor with a shark head. <laughs> it's great. Do you have a shark head? Because I didn't notice anything. What? what? Shark head. Land shark. <laughs> Candy Graham. <laughs> I do feel like it probably would have been better to just transform into a whole ass shark because, you know, they swim better. At least, you know, you would think they do. I don't know. Maybe then he wouldn't have had a spot for his wand or something. Maybe. Plus, since he still has a human body, he can take Hermione by the hand and swim off with her into the sunset. Or whatever you would call an underwater sunset. A sunderwater set? <laughs> you know what? I'ma go with it. <laughs> sunderwater set. Sunderwater set. <laughs> <laughs> but the book did say he poorly transfigured himself. True. So yes, it probably would have been better to be a whole shark, but he was probably lucky he could even get his head transfigured. I mean, boy can't even read. Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> In the book, he swims right up to Hermione and awkwardly tries to bite through her ropes. Harry worries he's going to rip Hermione in half and gives him the jagged stone to cut her ropes because still no wands for this part of the book. Sure. Crumb uses the rock to free her and takes her to the surface as well. In the movie, Harry watches, not quite sure what the fuck just happened, then swims back to Ron, links their arms together, then looks around to see if there's any sign of Fleur. When he doesn't see her, he decides that he's waited long enough and says, screw it, uses his wand to break the rope holding onto the blonde girl. So we've got wand use. <laughs> yep, there we go. In the book, there is also still no sign of Fleur, so he picks the jagged stone up again. Use your damn wand, Harry. Are you a wizard or not? <laughs> He's having a Hermione moment. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he frees the little girl. The mermen close around Ron and the little girl and Harry as he pulls out his wand, trying to yell at them to get out of the way. They look at his wand, frightened, and when he begins counting down with his fingers, they scatter. He manages to free Fleur's sister and starts moving upward, but now he's weighed down by two sleeping bodies. That can't be fun. No. At this point, the movie then checks back in with the action on the surface, and we see that it is only nine minutes away from the hour before Pretty Boy Diggory and Cho Chang break the surface of the water to cheers and applause from the action-starved spectators. Who sat there for 51 minutes <laughs> waiting for that. Watching water. Yes. <laughs> oh that's a dedication to a sport man yeah i gotta tell i've watched soccer before so i know what it's like to watch for like an hour and nothing happens but <laughs> jesus baseball sometimes too that yes oh my word anyway <laughs> they smile and show waves as they make their way towards the platform where dumbledore and barty crouch are heading to meet them and i fucking hate that little wave she does I know, you're in the freaking lake. Swim, you're going to drown. Right? <laughs> There's time to greet your public later. Right? Jesus. Oh, God, it annoys me so much. She literally looks like she's about to sink back underwater while yeah. she tries to do it, too. Oh, Lord. Just swim, woman. Anyway. Hermione and Crum are the next ones to make their way out of the Forbidden Lake, as I'm now going to call it. <laughs> Fleur and the rest of the Bobaton girls are watching with concern and comforting each other. The book doesn't focus on their return to the surface. It stays with Harry, as the series is Harry Potter. Makes sense. And the people follow him up, watching him struggle with his two sleeping bodies. He wonders what would happen if his time ran up, because that's something that they were really concerned about in the book. Not so much in the movie. At this point, his breathing becomes labored, and his body aches from the effort. But he knows he's so close to the surface, he just has to keep kicking as hard as he can. Yeah. There's that moment if you go too far under the water 
And like just before you get to the top where you almost feel like it's hopeless. Yeah. I can't imagine like feeling that, but still being so far away from the top of the water. And it's also at this point that he realizes he no longer has flippers. Like his feet are just feet. Yeah. And so he's just pulling up two people and kicking as hard as he can. And he's exhausted. He's been swimming nonstop for an hour Mm -hmm. around a lake. Boy's tired. Yeah. But his face breaks the water, the cold air making it sting. And he looks around to see the mer people all around him, but they're smiling. The crowd seems to be making a lot of noise, and Ron and the girl both open their eyes. The girl looks scared, and Ron spurts out a stream of water, then comments on how wet it is, <laughs> before asking Harry why he brought Fleur's sister. Harry says that Fleur never showed up and he couldn't just leave her. Ron calls him a prat and says Dumbledore would never let any of them drown. And Harry has this moment of, like, oh my god, I'm such a fucking moron. <laughs> and that transitions into being very annoyed because he's just like, I can't believe I took that fucking song seriously. Of course Dumbledore's not going to let anyone drown. And he just is like, can you help me with this girl? She doesn't seem to know how to swim. <laughs> But they make their way back to shore with the mer people acting like a guard of honor and swimming with them. And they're still singing their screeching song, but now they're above the water, so it's just the screeching. Fun! Yeah. That's a whole lot of action for those spectators right at once. <laughs> but not nearly dramatic enough for the movie. It rarely is. Right? <laughs> back underwater, Harry is trying to swim towards the surface with two people in tow, which is a lot harder than it sounds, by the way. Especially when your hands and feet are de-webbing and your gills are quickly retreating back into your neck. He kicks his feet as hard as he can, but it seems pretty hopeless. And that actually is fairly similar mm -hmm. to the book. Yeah. It just gets a little more dramatic. What? No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. I'll be the judge of that. Yeah, you're right, it does. <laughs> At this point, despite all of his efforts, a Grindelow gets him by the ankle, followed by all its little Grindelow-y friends. He musters all his strength and pushes Ron and the blonde girl upward as hard as he possibly can before the Grindelows get them, too. He feels that his gills are pretty much completely gone as they surround him and try to pull him down. With the last bit of his strength, he pulls his wand out and casts a spell that puts the fear of Merlin back into the little bastards, and they all scatter. I would really like to know what spell that was. It was the Grindelow Scatterificus spell. I got nothing. Whatever it was, it was way too OP. Mm-hmm. It was like Hermione casting Immobilus on the Pixies. Yeah. But we're supposed to believe that a 14-year-old can blast away dozens of Grindelow when Fleur couldn't even make it past them? Well, yeah. The 14-year-old is a boy, Ellen. There is that. Obviously. In the book, Madame Pomfrey is fussing over the others who had already gotten out of the lake. Like I said, they didn't show that. Dumbledore and Bagman are waiting cheerfully on the bank for them, but a very pale Percy splashes out to meet them. And I love this little bit about Percy. It shows just how worried he was for his brother. Mm-hmm. He does care. He does. Which does not happen in the film. <laughs> Obviously, he doesn't care. Well, that and he wasn't there. Well, yeah, okay, if you want to be technical. <laughs> but why wasn't he there? Because he doesn't care. There we go. Newell! But we do again see the clock as it chimes for the hour, just as Ron and the blonde girl come up gasping for air. Since Harry is stuck underwater with the Grindelow, Ron helps the girl get to the platform on his own as the twins cheer and Fleur calls for the girl in French. So at least he had some brothers cheering for him. Right. <laughs> in the book, as we already mentioned... Harry is there, since there was no Grindelow fiasco. Mm -hmm. Madame Maxime is holding back a hysterical Fleur, who is calling for her sister Gabrielle. So now we know her name. Mm -hmm. Harry's too exhausted to speak and tell Fleur that her sister's fine, and she rushes past him to Gabrielle, hugging her and telling her she was attacked by the Grindelows. So there is where we finally learn in the book what happened to Fleur. Which we know in the film because we saw it happen and Dumbledore made an announcement about it. But while all that is going on in the movie, Harry is sinking back towards the bottom of the lake, having used up all his energy. But with one last little rally cry, he manages to weakly cast Ascendio, which sends himself flying up and out of the water 
and landing in a wet and exhausted heap on the floor on the platform at Dumbledore's feet. Which is definitely not how it happened in the book, since he just swims to the surface. Then Madame Pomfrey pulls Harry towards the others and wraps him in a blanket. Hermione congratulates him on finding out how to do it all on his own, and Harry sees Karkaroff watching him, so he's just like, yes, I did it all on my own. <laughs> and he doesn't say anything about Dobby. Nobody helped me at all. Dobby didn't get me the gillyweed. No, I figured it out on my own. <laughs> I know a guy. <laughs> I got a guy. I got a gillyweed guy. Same guy Dumbledore goes to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Crumb tries to draw Hermione's attention back to him by pointing out there's a water beetle in her hair, which is actually unexpectedly significant. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. But Hermione couldn't care less and just keeps talking to Harry. This kind of makes me sad. She was his most important thing. Right. She just don't give a rat's ass. It's sad. Yeah. Moving on. But she says that he was well outside the time limit and asks if he had trouble finding them. And Harry's just like, oh my god, I'm so fucking stupid. <laughs> I would have been the first one back if I hadn't have taken the song so seriously. I'm an idiot. I mean, there's a reason you weren't in Ravenclaw, Harry. Yep. According to the clock in the movie, no one was really outside the time limit, unless you want to be really technical about it and say that Harry was, since even though he got Ron and Fleur's little sister to the surface in time, he did not actually return until after. Regardless, the movie didn't make a thing out of people being outside the time limit at all. Yeah, because Cedric was the first to return and was also outside of the time limit, but we'll get to that in a bit. Currently... Dumbledore is having a deep conversation with the mer people at the edge of the water because he can speak mermish. And when he straightens, he says they need to have a conference before they can give the marks. Okay, but can we just explore this for one second? Because is he speaking mermish the way that mermaids sound outside of water? Is Dumbledore just like shrieking yes. at the side of the thing right now? Because that just makes me happy. That's what it says in the book. <laughs> He's literally, like, leaning uh, over the edge of the water, shrieking to the mermaids. Oh. It also makes me wonder, This, I think this could be our Potter pondering. If Dumbledore goes underwater and makes those same shrieking sounds, does it sound like English? Hmm. What do you think? That's actually an interesting thought. Yeah, that's my thought. I want to know. Yeah, I would love to know what our keepers think about that. But anyway, in the book, Madame Pomfrey pulls Ron from Percy's grasp and leads him to the others, giving him a blanket as well as some pepper-up potion. Fleur, who is covered in cuts, refuses Madame Pomfrey's attention and tells her to look after Gabrielle. She turns to Harry, and after she remarks that he saved her, even though she wasn't his hostage, she kisses him on both cheeks. She then turns to Ron and does the same, which makes Hermione look furious. I mean, that's just how they say hello. And thank you, apparently. And thank you. I mean, I don't think that's anything to really get jealous about, but... But she knows that Ron likes her. <laughs> he likes her. He wants her to say thank you the naughty way. Anyway. Moving on. They're cut off by Ludo Bagman's magically amplified voice, startling them all when he announces that their decision has been made. Happens similarly in the movie. So that's exciting. Neville, having not been the ultimate cause of Harry Potter's death, is finally able to stop shitting his pants as Harry sits up and Dumbledore checks on him. Luckily, he was wearing his brown pants. Very lucky indeed. Moody, looking very pleased with himself for some reason, taps his hand on the railing and gives a small smile. Hmm. Hmm. Wonder if that's significant. Maybe. Nah, it's only as significant as the water beetle in Hermione's hair. Not important at all. <laughs> Seamus and his giant ring put a towel around Harry's shoulders as Harry splutters water and Dumbledore calls another meeting of the Harry Potter done fucked up again committee <laughs> <laughs> man that's a busy committee that's <laughs> always something man <laughs> Fleur rushes up to him and thanks him for saving her little plot point er sister uh huh even though she was not his to save, kissing him on each cheek before standing and moving towards Ron. She kisses him on each cheek as well for helping, even though he didn't really have much of a choice, considering it would have been a pretty big dick move to just leave her in the middle of the lake. Yeah. But 
She takes off and rushes back to her sister Gabrielle as a stunned Ron touches his cheek and says, Merci. <laughs> oh, Ron. So bad. It's at this point that Hermione and Harry get to interact when she runs up to Harry to see if he is all right and wraps her towel around him. She tells him that she thinks he was a bit of a dumbass as usual, but it was for the right reasons and therefore it was a good call. A dejected Harry points out that he finished last. She kisses him on the head and reminds him that he was actually the penultimate champion, as Fleur never got past the Grindelos. Plus, I mean, he's Harry Potter, and everything works out for him whether they want it to or not, so no worries. He's Harry fucking Potter. Harry fucking Potter, man. Just saying. As the judges return from their cuddle puddle, the chanting from the bros of Dude Strang starts up again with choruses of crumb, 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 because they can only handle one syllable, and Victor is two. Yes. <laughs> Dumbledore calls for everyone's attention, finally needing to magnify his voice to announce that the winner is Pretty Boy Diggory, who used the COVID face mask term. In the book, as we already mentioned, it was obviously Ludo mm -hmm. who was doing this announcing, not Dumbledore. But they explained that they've been told exactly what happened at the bottom of the lake by Merchitus Mercus, and they are awarding the champions points out of 50. Fleur receives 25 points for her bubblehead charm, although she didn't retrieve her hostage. Cedric used the same charm, and though he was the first one back, he was one minute outside the time limit, so they docked him some points and he got 47. Crumb's incomplete transfiguration and second place return got him 40 points. Sounds logical. Sure. Mm -hmm. Bagman then announces that Harry used Gillyweed successfully, but was the last to return well outside the time limit. He was, however, the first to reach the hostages and was only last to return because he was determined to see all of the hostages safely returned. Bagman says that even though most of the judges believe that Harry should receive full marks for moral fiber, his score is 45 points. Which was our trivia question. Yep. In the movie, they don't bother giving everyone scores, because why? Details, shmeetails. Remember, this is the Quad Wizard Tournament, where everything's made up and the points don't matter. Exactly. They just have the crowd beginning to cheer on Cedric and clap him on the back as the flashbulb of the photographer next to him goes off. Dumbledore goes on to say that after a meeting of the no bias towards Harry Potter at all committee, it has been decided that since they can't give him first place due to his outstanding dumbassery and stubbornness, they have agreed to award him second place for, and I quote, outstanding moral fiber. Which is still accurate, mm -hmm. since Harry does end up in second place in the book, too. Yep, for the same reason. He is now tied overall for first place with Cedric, and Ron and Hermione stare at him for a moment before applauding with the rest of the crowd. Ron says he wasn't showing dumbassery after all. He was showing moral fiber. And Fleur is clapping loudly, too, though Crumb looks miserable. I imagine so. Yeah. He lost out on his second place victory. Mm -hmm. Bagman announces that the final task will take place at dusk on the 24th of June and that precisely one month beforehand, they will be notified of what is coming. They don't announce anything about the final task in the movie. It just ends with Harry looking extremely stunned as people cheer and Hermione excitedly repeats the news to him. Harry says he's cold, not deaf, but really, he still can't believe that he fucked this one so hard, he actually fixed it. <laughs> I don't know why that's so unbelievable to him. It's literally the story of his life. Pretty much. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Karkaroff is less than pleased with this news, despite being there when it was decided. He dramatically spits in Dumbledore's direction because he's classy like that and storms off like a stage mom whose six-year-old didn't get picked for the lead on the dance team. Yeah, it seems strange because he was supposed to be one of the judges and would have known very well what they had decided to do. Mm -hmm. And that was more of a shocked, angry reaction. But whatevs. Yeah. I didn't direct this. New, New all. all. 
Some of the Slytherins boo and the camera cuts to Nigel, inexplicably standing in the worst spot a four-foot-tall Gryffindor could stand, looking up at a disappointed Malfoy and cheering extra loud for Harry. Malfoy smacks his head and binoculars down and fucks off back to his cave. Poor Nigel. Even though it should have been a creepy. Mm-hmm. The book chapter ends with Madame Pomfrey herding the champions and hostages back to the castle, and Harry is relieved it's over and he's gotten through it. Yeah, that's uh, gotta be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talk about a weight off your shoulders. Yeah. He decides that the next time he's in Hogsmeade, he's gonna buy Dobby a pair of socks for every day of the year. Aww. We love Dobby. <laughs> and since Fleur finally did something other than look pretty, we can finally talk about Clement's posy. Finally. Jesus. I felt so bad. We're like, she was in this scene, but she didn't do anything. Yeah. She had several lines in this scene. She did. I think that she played Fleur really well. The problem is, Fleur sucks. <laughs> yeah, she does get better later on in the series, I think. Oh, yeah. I fully agree with that. But right now... She was the token female in the contest. Yeah. And there was no real development to her at all. Like, she had no chance. Yeah. She had no chance of winning this. Even without Harry Potter and his committee of unfucker-uppers. Right. Like... He's got a lot of committees. He does. <laughs> a ton of them. But anyway, back to Clement. She's beautiful. Oh, so beautiful. She was perfect for Fleur. I like the fact that they actually got a French actress to play a French character. Mm-hmm. That was good. Yeah. Her delivery of her lines was quite excellent because you really believe that she was very concerned about her sister. Yeah. She looked concerned. She sounded concerned. Mm-hmm. She played it very well. And it's a shame because I think she could have been even better later on and they kind of took that away from her in the films too. Yeah. We'll end up talking more about that then too. <sighs> All the directors. Right. It just sucks because she does become such an integral part. Mm -hmm. And they cut her part so small in this yeah. movie that just she was unlikable as a character. Not Clements, but Fleur. Right. Was unlikable as a character because we didn't see her hardly at all. Yeah. You just didn't care about her when she was there so much. Yeah. So I'm glad that they got someone as good as Clements Posey to at least play her. Mm-hmm. And I wish we could have had more development for Fleur. Because I think you were really not supposed to like her in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then she kind of grows on you. Yeah. But we didn't quite get that in the film so much at all. And we'll talk more about that later. Yeah, we just got nothing. Nothing. <laughs> yeah, it was insignificant and it was sad. Yeah, definitely. But that'll bring us to our Potter pondering. Mm-hmm. Which is, since Dumbledore can speak Mermish, if he were to go underwater and make those same noises... Would they sound like English? Yeah. What do you think? We'd love to know. Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. Or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your response as a voicemail. Make sure that you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. And if you want the chance to get it in our next episode, you need to get it to us by the Wednesday before. Mm-hmm. We really look forward to reading them and hearing them. This will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which is from Corey Wooten. He writes, I'm a Gryffindor. My wand is Hawthorne wood with a phoenix feather core, 11 and 3 quarters inches, slightly springy. My Patronus used to be a dog, but it changed to a calico cat, weirdly enough, when I got my first cat. Hmm. I got into Harry Potter because I liked a girl in third grade and she got me to read it. And then, obviously, I just never stopped. I also met my now wife through a Harry Potter group on Facebook and we just recently got married. Aww, congratulations. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing your absolutely adorable Sorting Hat story with us, Corey. I love that Harry Potter brought you and your wife together. And if any of the other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. Or you can message it to us over social media. This week's trivia question is, what is the title of the article that Rita Skeeter wrote about Harry and Hermione? The first one who responds with a correct answer and the code word hashtag Scarlet Woman will get a sticker. 
Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we will get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. Make sure to check out our website at justkeeprolling.com and don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you would like to help us continue creating more content, you can support us as a patron and get extra perks on patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And real quick, I just want to say to Ellen, the other day was the five-year anniversary of our very first Harry Potter trivia win. Oh, And so that's... Five years. Five years. That's basically where this all started. It is. And so I just wanted to say happy anniversary. Aw, happy anniversary. <laughs> We're also coming up on two years doing this podcast. Yeah. Which is crazy. That's insane. So we're happy to have you all joining us on this crazy wild adventure. Mm-hmm. We love you all. And speaking of joining us, join us next week when we talk about the first half of Chapter 27, Padfoot Returns, and the absolutely no corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just, just keep, keep rolling. rolling.